0: The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved With whom I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week I heard a startling noise coming from the far wall of our kitchen. And I realized immediately something was wrong with the microwave oven. And I went into a panic. How can we survive? without a microwave. I remembered a uh, a woman who was part of one of the churches I served and and her she was a a home economist and she was uh, she had a job where she wrote uh she was writing a microwave cookbook for the Hanover Foods company. And in the midst of doing so, um her microwave oven broke down. And, uh, in the morning, her teenage daughter was heading for the kitchen and she said, Jenny, if, uh, if you want eggs for breakfast, you need to know that the microwave is broken. And incensed, her daughter turned around and said, well, then how am I going to cook my breakfast? She said, well, you can, you can do your eggs on the stovetop. And she glared at her mother and she said, what are you talking about? She couldn't imagine. How do you do that? (laughs) We live in a microwave world. Our world has, well, it's changed in just a few decades from the, or at least we think it has, from the slow pace we once enjoyed to the point where... Everything is hurry up, get to the point, move it, move it, move it. We want what we want and we want it now. We want freezer to table meals in 15 minutes at the most. We want zero to 60 acceleration in 8.5 seconds. We want the phone answered in three rings or we're going to hang up. And we want that personal pan pizza in five minutes or we're out of here. No one reads classical literature anymore. Why bother when you've got Barnes & Noble, Monarch notes and classic comics? Or if you really must, there's the Evelyn Wood speed reading course. Have you heard of that? I'm reminded of Woody Allen's comment about the Evelyn Wood course. He said, I took the Evelyn Wood speed reading course. I read War and Peace in an hour and a half. It's about Russia. (laughs) The accelerated Case of life. Things move so quickly, don't they? And we, we seem to want them to move quickly. Child psychologists now write and talk about the hurried child. Well, it's been a long time they've been writing and talking about the accelerated offspring who are prodded by well-meaning and well-intended parents to hurry up, to grow up, move on to the next stage of development and excel all the while. Anything less than the 90th percentile is an embarrassment, you know. We take pride in how advanced our children are, how far above grade level they're performing and how busy they are. And the consequence is that children are robbed of one of God's most precious gifts, the unique and irreplaceable gift of their own childhood. The message a child receives is what I am. What I am is no good. They'll love me because of what I'm able to do and when I make them proud. The idea of a lifelong commitment has become almost unfathomable. The now, the present moment, right now is all that counts. And instant gratification is the name of the game. Two months from now is the distant future. We can't even begin to think about that. Much less to promise till death do us part. Or forsaking all others. How can we imagine that we would still want to do that in a few months? Jeremy Rifkin in a book called Time Wars says this. Many people have so accommodated themselves to the new sped up time frame of the computer that they become impatient with the slower durations they have to contend with in everyday living. They're much more intolerant now of behavior that is that is ambiguous or, or tangential. In their interaction with spouses and family and acquaintances, they're often terse, preferring simple yes and no answers, impatient with individuals who are reflective or meditative. Now, not all of the consequences of living in a microwave world are bad. EMTs and emergency room personnel know the value of a few precious moments. In a precious moment, you can save a life, and they do day after day. They respond to emergencies with speed and efficiency and an impressive array of life-saving skills. The microchip has made the laborious task of processing and retrieving information quick and efficient once lengthy calculations are now completed in a fraction of a second. It's a microwave world that we live in. Perhaps as we baby boomers hit midlife and slow down a bit, so will our society. But I doubt it. I doubt that, that we will ever return to the comparatively leisurely rhythms of Mayberry, Father Knows Best, Happy Days, or the Brady Bunch. We'll never go back there. So the question for us becomes given the fast pace of life and the directions of modern life how are to, how are we to function as disciples of jesus and and when that question comes to us as it does every day there are a number of answers that that i encounter and i'm sure you do too one group of christian one group of christians answers that question by withdrawing from what they view as the evils of modern modernity and and the threats of the fast pace of life. They cling to older, simpler styles of living and they shun the ways of the world. And we live in a part of the country where we can see those who plow with horses while others are using tractors. Those who live without electricity or telephones. While we may admire their discipline and their commitment, most of us don't embrace that vision ...as the only option for the 21st century and for Christians in the 21st century. Other Christians take exactly the opposite approach. Instead of, instead of resisting the microwave world, they embrace it uncritically. The ways and the values of the world in which we live. To them, it is it is God and the church who must adapt to the brave new world that humankind has created. And if And if God and the church have any intention of remaining relevant they will adopt the ways of of the current society. But many of us look skeptically at the way things are going in family life, in education, in economics, in sexual ethics, in bioethic engineering, biogenetic engineering, to name just a few things that worry us and concern us. But there's a third way to be a Christian in a microwave world. A way that is suggested by... Um, by an author named Eugene Peterson, some of you recognize his name. He's written a biblical translation called The Message. Eugene Peterson has written another book, and it's called "Listen to This Title." He calls it "A Long Obedience in the Same Direction." A long obedience in the same direction, and 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 uh, uh, Eugene Peterson took that title from the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. A long obedience in the. Excuse me, in the same direction. And it's a, it's a title worth reflecting on for a moment. What might a long obedience in the same direction look like? Today, the church observes and celebrates the baptism of our Lord. That occasion, according to the gospels, when, when Jesus submitted himself to baptism by John, the time when, when Jesus stepped out from his, his private life, To a life that was more public and observable by large crowds of people. And it was at that time, at the time of Jesus' baptism, that we find that the heavens opened and the spirit of God descending upon Jesus. God announced Jesus' divine identity as his son. And entrusted him with his eternal mission to give his life away for others. So, for Jesus, his baptism was was a uh, marked a turning point in his life, and was was a vitally important event for him. And um, as we practice baptism in the church, as Lucretia pointed out to the children earlier, it is it's also a, intended to be a a turning point in our own lives and in the lives of our families when we and a member of our families are submitted for baptism. Baptism and, and confirmation, the, the cycle that we call baptism and confirmation are not, we don't consider them tasks to be accomplished, items to be checked off a checklist, but they're the first steps in a long journey, a long obedience in the same direction. The story is told of a, uh, of a pastor's words to a baby shortly after he, he baptized her. He held the child up before the congregation and, and he said to her, little sister, By this act of baptism, we welcome you to a journey. A journey that will take your whole life. This isn't the end. It's the beginning of God's experiment with you. What God will make of you, we don't know. Where God will take you, surprise you, we cannot say. But this we do know, and this we do say today. God is with you. Remember that immediately following his baptism in the gospel story, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the evil one. Immediately, in other words, Jesus was attempted to abandon his long obedience in the same direction. And he resisted that temptation in his preaching and his teaching and and his healing and his reconciling and liberating ministry. Jesus continued that long obedience in the same direction through his whole life. And then finally, until finally, on the cross at Calvary, it reached its inevitable end. And God raised Jesus from the dead. His long, perfect obedience in the same direction became the salvation of all of us. Through no merit of our own, but a gift to all of us. Do you remember the story of Helen Keller? It's a remarkable story that I haven't heard told anywhere by anyone in a long time. But I was thinking of her this week and thought I would recall for you something about her life's journey. When she was 19 months old, this little girl experienced a devastating illness that left her both blind and deaf. Her life was, was called a miracle story and it was, it was written in a, in a play that was, that was named The Miracle Worker. And it became a Broadway production in the late 1950s. But the miracle Helen Keller experienced was not any return of her vision or her hearing. The miracle that she received was the miracle of her committed, loving family and her relentlessly optimistic and patient teacher whose name was Ann Sullivan. When Helen was seven years old, she had been trapped most of her life in a world where she could only communicate with her family with a few hand signals, with the um um family the family uh, uh cook and her parents and the others who came in and out through her home. But mostly she was a solitary child, a child who did not understand and was not understood by others. And then her parents arranged to have a twenty-year-old visually impaired teacher come and work with their daughter. They didn't know what else to do and they thought this was something that just might work. She used, Anne Sullivan used American Sign Language and she spent months, month after month, can you imagine, month after month, spelling words into Helen's hand using the gestures of American Sign Language. Everything that Helen touched, everything that she ate, every person that she encountered was spelled out in her hand by Ann Sullivan. Day after day, week after week, month after month to no result. Through those first weeks and months, Helen didn't get it. She didn't understand a thing. She made no gesture, no response that indicated understanding. Those random motions being pressed into her palm didn't mean anything to her. But Anne Sullivan refused to give up. She kept spelling the words. She kept grabbing Helen's hand and forcing her to hold it open so she could spell the words with her fingers in Helen's hands. Finally, and this is, this is a remarkable moment from Helen Keller's life and a, and a memorable one from the play, The Miracle Worker. Finally, there was a moment of recognition. It was a time when, when, um, Helen was having water pumped out of a pump and it was flowing over her hands. And Ann Sullivan, of course, Took Helen's hand and spelled into her hand W-A-T-E-R, water, over and over as Helen held her hands under the water pump and had the, felt the water washing over here. W-A-T-E-R, and finally, in that moment, after months and months and months, Helen got it. Suddenly, she realized that those gestures she felt in her hand meant something real. They were connected to the water she was feeling. They were naming what she was experiencing. Then the world of communication and reading and literature and human interaction were all made possible for this little girl. And she grew and became a remarkable woman whose name was recognized all over the world. All made possible through the persistence of a young woman named Anne, who worked with Helen over months of time and created the miracle of patience. She simply kept on and kept at it, refusing to give up, showing Helen that there were words for things and that there was true meaning behind all of this little girl's experiences. Patience is not a very well regarded virtue these days, but it is one that is essential for our life together and for our Christian faith that we be patient with one another as God is patient with us. Well, sisters and brothers, our world will likely remain A microwave world. We're not going to change it. We're not going to go back to the way things once were. Our world will likely remain a microwave world. Instant, impatient, petulant, fast-moving, even confusing. A long obedience in the same direction is our call from God. And God's gift to us through Jesus his son. That long obedience in the same direction, that patience and persistence in listening for God and following God's way as Jesus did, that long obedience in the same direction can be God's gift to us, enabling us to face the inconstancy and the instability and the inconsistency and the vacillations of such a world in which we live enabling us to maintain our identity and our commitment and our sense of purpose and meaning and value and worth. Jesus' long obedience in the same direction was not a wandering, meandering in any old direction or in whatever way felt good today or tomorrow for him. Jesus' long obedience in the same direction was a purposeful march in the direction that God gave him. And he marched, as we all know, Not aimlessly, but relentlessly toward a cross on a hill and then an empty tomb and a resurrection and a life to which he calls all of us. Jesus' long obedience in the same direction marched through faithfulness and loyalty and integrity, commitment and suffering love. Jesus' long obedience in the same direction marched especially through patience, patience to which he calls us and ends in eternal victory. May God's blessings continue to be ours as we march through our long obedience in the same direction, initiated by our baptism and ending in the eternal victory which Jesus holds in store for us. Amen.